Welcome to the RSP cast. What made him great? This is a new series that's going to come out on Fridays that alternates with RSP story time and reads, listens, views. This week, we're kicking it off with Bears quarterback Jim McMahon. Wouldn't necessarily think about what made him great from the perspective of the all time greats in the game, but he was an underrated great player. And it was kind of overshadowed by the fact that he was a cultural stamp of the 1980s. Because when Jim McMahon arrived at the Chicago facility in a limousine drinking cans of Budweiser, George Hallis, the father of the NFL, greeted him with a gruff assessment. McMahon had a bad eye, he was too small, and possibly noodle-armed. He belonged in the CFL. That's what he told his draft pick. And McMahon looked at Papa Bear in the eye and shot back. Then why'd you draft me, old man? Well, when he took over Mike Ditka's unimaginative offense that inspired probably the worst of Jeff Fisher's offenses and changed the plays without permission, McMahon's aggressive forays downfield and keen strategic mind for the game swept the clouds of dust from Soldier Field and catalyzed a championship-caliber team. McMahon was the quarterback that of all the football movies of the era tried to emulate that got wrong. He was that guy. And like those movies, fans and media never really understood what even John Madden knew. That when at the height of his powers, McMahon was arguably the best quarterback of the era. And that's a bold statement for most people, probably bordering on insanity when considering that Joe Montana and Dan Marino ruled the 80s and were among the greatest to ever throw a football in any era. Madden may have been entertaining, but he was no hot take artist. If you scout the game and take a closer look, you're going to arrive at a similar conclusion. I did. So this week, we're going to talk about what makes Jim McMahon great. And it definitely wasn't his stats. And this is the measuring stick for most who judge quarterback play. That's because most people don't study the film in depth and they don't understand the quarterback position in depth. So those who even have an appreciation of McMahon often just cite the intangibles as the foundation for his greatness. So if you've been reading the rookie scouting portfolio quarterback evaluations for any length of time, you know that much of what people say is intangible can be defined and graded. You just have to go to the film. You have to refine your criteria and you have to stick to it. And this week, I studied the tape on McMahon, past games. I also looked at some career highlights and retrospectives on YouTube. I shared a few retrospectives at my RSP site. And you can click on the links. It'll take you to YouTube forum because, of course, the NFL has banned those from being shown on other sites other than YouTube. But you'll get to see why McMahon, the former BYU teammate of Steve Young, that Young credited McMahon as much, if not more, than Joe Montana for being the quarterback template he needed to learn the position. And so in this week's cast, I'm sharing the insights I've gained from McMahon's um, play as a technician, a decision maker, an athlete, a leader, and compare him to other quarterbacks of the past with even more on-field acclaim. So listen to the pod, watch some of the videos when you have time, and you're going to get a glimpse at why McMahon's quarterback and has subtlety, guts, and technical and strategic greatness. 
You know, it's ironic that at the height of his career in celebrity, McMahon had a huge sponsorship where he uttered the words, image is everything. Because when you look back on it, his image became the historical narrative that overshadowed the greatness of his quarterbacking. So what are the first things that I see with McMahon that really jumped off the page for, for me? And it started with what Bill Walsh always loved about top quarterbacks, and that was their footwork. McMahon had terrific footwork. He was one of the most technically sound quarterbacks of his era, and really any era when you look at him. He can make all the drops, the quick one or two-step, the three-step, five, seven-step. He can alter the speed of the drop. He can alter the um, the the width of the drop if he needed to. And even when he was dropping fast, you know, it was always calm. It was always precise. And so as a result of that, his footwork really set the stage for how he threw the ball. And, and it also set the stage for that while he was in the pocket, he was known for running and not protecting himself and really none of, and while he took punishment, Really, the, the thing that really changed his, you know, changed him physically wasn't all the collective punishment that he took taking hits in that era, but it was that Charles Martin um, play that the Packers um, def- defender basically committed a crime on the field because it was after the, well after the play was over, and then he waited, stood there, grabbed McMahon and then slammed him on his throwing shoulder and he had to have reconstructive surgery on the shoulder. Bears ended up trading him and he still was a very good quarterback, but he wasn't going to be, he had to learn new things with a new team and then he was considered damaged goods. And while he never had a great arm, he had a, he still had a very good one for a, um, you know, a starting level quarterback in the league and then that surgery they looked at him more as damaged goods at that time and then there were some of the other image things but starting with the drops you know the drops set it up so that if he could move quickly he could sidestep he could climb and no matter what he was doing with his feet it really put he was able to keep in a position where he could throw an easy ball and that's really the key is that he could move fast and he didn't look, he, but he never looked hectic. It was always in control. You look at a Baker Mayfield and when he moves, it looks frenetic. It looks like he's not sure what's going to happen next. When you watch Jim McMahon, he moved like Joe Montana. Joe Montana had great feet and was always known for that. But both of them moved. They could move swiftly but they always seemed to know a step ahead of what they were going to do. And it was because their feet provided them that stable base to be able to make decisions from. And the footwork really is the window to the mind. If your feet are calm and in control, your mind is seen. It's a reflection of that. You're seeing the game unfold at a slower rate. And what was so crazy when you watch McMahon's tape and I encourage you to watch it is that as much control of his footwork and feel for space that he had and as fast as he could drop the ball always just came out so easily 
It was like watching a dad throw the ball gently and calmly to like a little kid who was still learning how to catch so that you didn't hurt him. But the ball had the necessary velocity and trajectory. He could throw, you know, he could put velocity on the ball. He didn't have great velocity, but he could throw the deep out. He could throw, he was a terrific vertical thrower when you put air under the ball, but he also could, you know, he could fit it in the tight spots when he needed to. Now, some of that has to do with another quality we're going to talk about, but the velocity could be there. But it was the fact that with his feet under him the way that he did, he could, that motion he had just looked effortless. It always looked like it was coming out slow and easy. So, like, it could look like that he was in a rush and suddenly it was like he was dropping a feather, you know, from the sky the way that he would throw it. And he could do it with various release platforms. And it allowed him to throw with touch, even if he had had to come to a sudden stop or like a quick one or two step climb in the pocket or had to run or whether he was rolling to his right or his left. And he was great on the move on design rolls to his right or his left, especially his left as a right-handed thrower, which is usually a difficult thing for right-handed quarterbacks. He could throw with touch in the intermediate, the in-breaking, out-breaking routes, vertical routes with no pressure or under heavy pressure or do it on or off platform. And it was because his mechanics were so good. Steve Young often talked about that Jim McMahon's mechanics were just great. Like you could look at what he did with his feet and his throwing motion. And it was, you know, it was textbook. It might've even been better than that. If you know, he was, so when he would drop balls in there, I've watched so many plays watch in, in, you know, this week with his tape where you're watching him throw across his body. You don't see many people throw across their body on the move to your right or left and throw it with touch. And he would throw it with anticipation and touch and fit it into tight windows with touch passes. You know, it was crazy to see some of these things. He could paint the stripe really well, too. He was great at finding receivers in the back of the end zone, finding them at the boundary and being able to lead players. He just painted corners really well. And that anticipation was a compensatory factor for the lack of a great arm. Whereas like Matt Stafford could, you know, basically zip it in there all the time and and do it that way. Like Montana, Jim McMahon could literally, he saw what was happening and he'd be able to throw the ball in a way where the receiver would just run to it and get it. And it wasn't just the vertical routes. It was the in and out breaking routes. It was zone routes and tight windows he didn't hesitate. He was, you know, that, and that's the thing with good, great quarterbacks is that great quarterbacks, their processing is one thing, seeing everything and anticipating where it's going to open up and then knowing when to pull the trigger, that he didn't hesitate to pull the trigger. That's the difference between a quarterback who looks like he could be great on paper like Alex Smith. Alex, paper, Alex Smith was the on-paper great prospect. You know, you think about Gil Brandt, the, the, you know, venerable scout. He loved Alex Smith, but he was going by the numbers and he was kind of a by the numbers checkbook, you know, check the box kind of guy who innovated scouting for having more of an organized process. And that's great. But 
you know, for a little frame of reference, the reason that maybe he would see Alex Smith as a great prospect is because of the fact that he went, he erred towards that kind of check the box type of behavior, but not maybe, but maybe where it's missing for a lot of people. And I'm not just going off on brand, but like, and I don't mean to go off on brand. I'm just talking about the the tendencies of scouting quarterbacks anyway, is that that next frontier that isn't just intangibles because they wrap it up as intangibles is processing information to action with confidence. As I talk about all the time, quarterbacking is a performance craft. They are on a stage. And it's why you often hear coaches say this, and it doesn't seem quantifiable, but it is. What they say is, well, you know, there's a lot of great practice players, but when the lights come on and they've got to play in a real game, that's when their game can just either elevate or go bad. And they call players gamers because of that. And then we get into this whole conversation about intangibles as a result. When really, if you measure, is the quarterback delivering the ball without hesitation when they see where the route's about to break and read the leverage correctly? Is there no hesitation in that? If there's not a beat of hesitation, you can measure it by beats because you watch quarterbacks and you get the sense of what the timing is. It may not be a defined sense of time by like, you can't say it's every 0.2 seconds or every 0.4 seconds or every second and a half. It's about, you know, it's almost like watching their feet again and what their mind's doing. Their feet are the window into their mind. So when you watch them either hitch an extra step that they didn't need to or bounce on the balls of their feet an extra time or two before they throw or they pat the ball, all those things are hesitations or physical manifestations of their mental hesitation and lack of confidence in in letting the ball go when they think they should. So when you watch the route, you watch the defense, you see the quarterback observing it, and you see that the moment that that route is about to break open and the ball should come out, is it coming out or is the quarterback patting the ball, um, you know, bouncing one more time on the balls of his feet, taking an unnecessarily necessary hitch, giving an unnecessary pump fake in the same direction he's going to throw it. All those things are... I don't believe in letting it go just yet. I need one more moment. And usually that one more moment results in the defender recovering, coverage from across the field coming over and being able to undercut, the the ball arriving a, a shade late and behind the, the receiver or above the receiver, all those things because then the quarterback's motion might be a little messed up because they took that extra hesitation and now they're really not physically in an optimal position to throw the ball either. So McMahon, in contrast, guys like McMahon or Montana or Mahomes, and there's other quarterbacks who are lesser known who are very good at that, that action, that anticipation to action or identification processed into action is instantaneous. And that's what you need. That's confidence. That's what the intangible of confidence is defined on the field when you're looking at quarterback play. And that's what you need to see on a consistent basis. Now, Alex Smith was always a, an extra hop, an extra step. you know. And there are a lot of quarterbacks who do that, who are unbelievably smart. They're tough. They have all the physical skills you want. And they can be decent quarterbacks. 
But in the moments where they need that, you need that type of play. Brett Favre had it. And, you know, I know that, you know, we can talk about the the off-field controversy with Brett Favre, but I'm scouting players on the field. I'm not evaluating what kind of human beings they are and what their behaviors are off the field. I'm evaluating what they did on the field. And Brett Favre had that confidence. He made mistakes, but he also had that confidence. And Jim McMahon had that. So, And that's such a vital part of what made him good because he, he didn't hesitate. When, and when he, because he didn't hesitate, his, when he had fakes, they made him even more believable because the defense could inherently see that. Even if they didn't, couldn't articulate that in an interview, they, could, they responded to it on the field. So his pump fakes were fantastic because when he gave them, you thought the ball was coming out because he rarely hesitated and he was aggressive. So the pump fake was a great changeup for him. His play action work was was nuanced. He could hide the ball in various ways. He sold his play fakes well. Everything he did that was a fake really had more credence to defenses because of his aggression. You know, he would throw the ball downfield. He would change plays because in Mike Dicka's offense, it was. He talked about a lot that it was, you know, mostly a run-oriented offense. You had one of the greatest running backs in ever and Walter Payton and they were playing conservative running the ball to Payton in a run oriented era but McMahon you know knew and recognized on the field where teams were starting to play to tendency and he could go against that tendency and he would call different plays and the way it was portrayed in the media and he was young and kind of cocky and that's how things were and most of your quarterbacks are cocky but he didn't really care on that level and he had that he had that belief that he knew the game well and he did and he that he would just change a play and it was still at the tail end of an era where quarterbacks could change plays and they weren't in subject to coordinators who thought that these that their players were basically just unnamed automatons in their personal video game operated from the sideline you know quarterbacks had more input and so he would change plays that were obvious that the defense was, um, you know, really gearing towards a tendency and he would turn it on its head. And it was more than just that, you know, he could, you know, he did a really good job of, you know, being able to know when to run, when to throw the ball away. He knew where, you know, he, he could hold a safety and manipulate a defender. I, I showed a, a video on my social media last night of him throwing a no-look pass that was better than the no-look passes I've seen from Patrick Mahomes and Matt Stafford. A beautiful one where he's like climbing the pocket and he's staring in the middle of the field and the, the receiver's breaking from his left to his right. And he looks like he's staring completely down the middle of the field and then just angles as he releases, he angles the ball to his left as he's still staring down the field and just hits the receiver in stride in tight coverage. It was a, it was a gorgeous play. And that, that ability to read and process fast and manipulate was great. And part of what made him great as a, that, that played up these um, pump fakes and play fakes with manipulation is that he process he saw, um, defenses very well pre-snap and he had a really good knack 
of knowing what the best first read should be in his route progressions. Like you often see him winning with his first read. And it wasn't necessarily because he was a one read quarterback at all. It was that he knew who the guy was that he should target. Sometimes he cut through the the red tape of a play. Because one of the things that I often hear from um you know from offensive specialists at the high school and college game, guys like Dub Maddox. Dub Maddox, who is, you know, really a hot name on the coaching circuit for the past 10, 15 years because of his innovations with how you read leverage and read the field and teach people to do it. Because oftentimes plays will say are are taught in a way where it's like, okay, here's a smash concept. And with this particular route, you this is your first read and you give a look at it, but if the defense has provides this kind of an alignment, then you're, you're going to give it a quick glance, but you want to come off it quickly so that you can do this. And there's a lot of if and ands and possibles and that, but really, if you follow the play teaching and training as, as it's presented, every play is going to end right in a check down. And then you become this academic quarterback who's never exploiting the defense you're just taking the safe thing and then that ends up where you have a lot of you know mediocre drives that end because at some point you have to be aggressive at some point you have to exploit the flaw and you have to know where to to read the defense better than what is just put on paper to be able to attack it and to attack it immediately and McMahon was really good at being able to spot where the coverage was and where there was a flaw in the coverage and a, and cut through the BS of the play and attack and go to the guy who was really going to make the biggest difference. And that meant either throwing back shoulder. He made some really nice back shoulder throws before Aaron Rodgers was probably even a glint in his parents' eye. I don't remember what year it was. Maybe Aaron Rodgers was born after... Um, born in 1985 but I know that would have made him 40 something so yeah before he was even a glint in his parents eye you know Jim McMahon was throwing back shoulder fades not on as regular a basis as Aaron Rodgers was and the rest of the league is now but you've seen him do that I've seen him know where to to attack downfield and throw contested routes and trust his receivers but throw them open in the way Drew Brees used to be known for throwing people open um you know, those were the types of things he could do. And he was great at throwing deep. And when you think about the receivers he had, he had Willie Galt. He had a number of guys who were decent. You know, Galt was a speedster. He had speedsters. He didn't have unbelievable route runners. He didn't have, he wasn't playing in a system like Montana where everything was so choreographed and precise where that's the greatness with what Montana was able to do was to direct that. He was like a, a symphony director, whereas, you know, or a symphony conductor, you know, whereas like McMahon was more of like a leader of a, of a jazz big band, you know, and was someone where he could riff on things. He could, he could improvise, but he also could read what was going on and know what tune to call, you know, to know how to alter it in a way because he could see the mood of the audience or the defense and or see certain tendencies with them and know how to exploit that. He was really good at that. So his numbers weren't always awesome because, again, he played in an offense that wasn't 
unbelievably innovative. He had to work. He had to kind of overcome his offense to to be great. If he were playing in like a in a Dan Fouts style offense, you know, at the height of his career or a West Coast offense, because boy, could he move. You know, if he could play in you know more or certain variants of the systems that that were in the NFL that that either spread the field in a run and shoot even or in a west in a west coast system that had the type of weapons that Montana had or in, a, in an offense that spread out like Marino's offense or you know Dan Fouts offense I think he could have been um a statist a perennial statistical leader who would have earned hall of fame level numbers just from watching his he had elite vertical game accuracy um he you know he read the leverage well he could look off players the play action the movement all of that was there and when i and then you have the things that people also say are intangible and and they are i mean they're at this point but they're important things and that's he was tough you know after that charles martin you know you know, hit job that the Packers performed on him. Probably one of the most shameful things that, that have happened in the game in the past probably 50 years, um, you know, on the field. You know, he had to get his shoulder, re, you know, reconstructed. And he came back in 10 months when he was told that he would need two years. And he still, you know, was, uh, you know, a productive player with the Chargers for a while when he played with them. And then when he was falling apart, I watched him throw for nearly 350 yards and three touchdowns on a 23-point comeback in 91 against my Cleveland Browns when the Eagles had to literally carry him onto the field because he was basically so banged up and could really barely move. And he, he had that kind of thing with him. The, you know, the offensive line played hard for him because he was a leader. He was aggressive. They believed in him. He was a he was a good communicator who could make the game fun like Joe Montana and like be cool in the moment and execute in the moment that made you feel like if you just did everything you could, he was gonna give you a chance. Like you if you gave him just enough of a chance to do something, he was gonna he was gonna give the team a chance to win. And when you feel like that, if you've ever worked in a team environment where someone can inspire you because you know they're working their tail off, you know that they've got that thing that if you just, you you don't have to be great. You just have to do that little extra. And that little extra actually does make you great in that moment. It inspires you. If you do that, you have a chance to be successful. And that's what he brought to that game. And so he had a he had that mix of intensity. He had that mix of kind of like I'm gonna I'm gonna own my offense. I don't care if Mike Dick is telling me this is how our offense is. I'm gonna own it and I'm gonna make it work and I'm gonna force him to to basically allow me to do what I do because I'm gonna prove it. I'm gonna take that chance. And that's the other thing. It's like you know, some of the best things, you think about it in business. Think about it in business or in the creative realm, like The Office. If you look at The Office, the the um, sitcom, if you think about all the awkward pauses and the writing and the politically incorrect stuff and 
a lot of the a lot of just kind of the the style and form and dialogue of that show most big networks who are just there to do the safe thing would not want that show would not have thought audiences would like the show all the cringeworthy comedy things like that might be hot now but it wasn't back then and oftentimes you have to fight to get the the most creative and lasting concepts to actually work oftentimes you look back in history and it's like the things that people wanted you to do were by the numbers and if you do go against the numbers it's often great it often can be lead to great things and lasting things of value but it takes a lot of convincing because it goes against the current formula and jim mcmahon went against the formula of what coaches were looking for on one level but on another once he got them to buy into it he was an old school quarterback he could have played in any era he could have played in this era easily um you know when i think of quarterbacks you know like i think of baker mayfield i think people you know they want to say they saw brett Favre when they looked at brett baker mayfield i know there was scott McEwen, a, a very respected scout who helped build the 49ers when they had a Super Bowl team through his scouting work, you know, mentioned that Baker Mayfield reminded him of Brett Favre. I think Baker Mayfield reminds me of a poor man's um, Jim McMahon, the more, or uh, yeah, Jim McMahon, the more that I look at him. Um, And really what's funny is McMahon was kind of a mentor for Brett Favre early in their career. And there's a little bit of that, that quality i think the problem with baker mayfield is that you know he's not there's jim mcmahon was mature on the field he was mature with his teammates in the sense of he knew the game well he worked hard he studied hard but he just seemed like that that kid who didn't you know he seemed like kind of just a you know a look at me kind of guy when he really wasn't that but you know because he was cool and the and the bears were great and he and he kind of fit the the ethos of what the '80s were, you know. He got branded with that. Whereas, whereas with Baker Mayfield, it's turning out it's a little bit more um, surface level, superficial than substantive when it comes to his studying, his knowledge of the game, um, you know, his real feel for coverages and his confidence of when to let the ball go and how to do it. And he wasn't even as mobile as McMahon. Like they probably are similar athletes, but the difference is that McMahon, again, that processing processing of identification to action and the confidence in which he moved and the control of his footwork was way better than what um, Mayfield is showing right now. You know, he's McMahon's more on that level with, you know, guys like, you know, Joe Montana and Rich Gannon, MVP caliber players who didn't have great arms but were good enough and their anticipation was off the charts and their ability to read defenses and buy time and be tough when they needed to. So that's my, those are some of the things I wanted to share about Jim McMahon. I hope you enjoyed this series. Um, We're going to continue doing it. I may even have some guests on and we'll scout some players together down the line. This isn't going to be an every week thing, but it's going to be something that I do occasionally on Fridays um, as I'm collecting more stories for RSP story time. Um, So I hope you enjoy your weekend. Hope you enjoyed um, possibly what would be a different view of the punky QB 
who really that just whole storyline and narrative overshadowed some really greatness from his tape. Thanks for listening. Have a good weekend.